One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast where we discuss the culture that we love that society tries to make us feel ashamed of. My name is Karen Donahue and I'm a fashion don't. Today I'm joined by co-host of the Six O'Clock Show and the living spirit of Joan Rivers, Myrna O'Connell. Yeah, that's Hello. me, me and Joan, wow. Oh, Myrna, what are you wearing? Terrible! She looked like she was run over by a garbage bus. That's really bad, John. I'm so sorry. Please don't turn in the old grave. We love you. We love you. When fashion police used to be fun. Joan Rivers. A garbage bus. Garbage bus. I don't. What are they called? I was watching so much Joan Rivers in preparation for this. Oh, my God. Um, In case no one can tell by the episode title. Today, we're talking about something very new, very different for Sentimental Garbage. I'm super excited. We're talking about red carpets, which, Myrne, you brought to me. And I wanted to, I want to hear the journey. So I, for a year in my head, I had, if Carolina Donahue ever asked me to go on Sentimental Garbage, I'm going to pitch her on red carpets. And I had this whole thing of like how I will pitch her, how I will pitch Caroline, how I pitch you. It was like a paragraph, really well thought out. And then when you got in contact with me, it was the day that like the championship, the All-Ireland Championship had started in Ireland. Wimbledon final was on. The Euros final was on. And we'd had a few drinks. So I just ended up in caps shouting down an Instagram DM to Caroline, red carpets. That was it. There was no thought. Caroline was like, "Okay, maybe you should elaborate (laughs) on this. I was like, no, red carpet, red carpet. I woke up the next day going, yeah. I didn't really do myself any justice there, did I? No, it was incredible because um, I have been, you know, launching this whole new season, deciding I was going to do something a little bit different this season, expanding it out from books and TV shows and, and do all kinds of culture. And when I made that decision in my head, I was like, people are going to be talking about songs, maybe music videos, maybe films, maybe like individual characters. But then to, for you to come immediately, and you were one of the first people I asked, with just the concept of the red carpet, it really unlocked what I actually did want to be this season to be about you know all these things that like get brushed under the kind of the rug of sort of general female consensus but actually is a whole structured reality it's a game it's a sport like and I want I want to talk about that element of it first because that's how you pitched it to me you said it's a sport like any other and the more I thought about it the more I thought you were right the one thing like I do think of it as a massive sporting event something that the whole world gets involved in. They're like the Euros, the Olympics, the All-Ireland Final. Everyone knows when they're on. Everyone knows that uh, that there's going to be a lot of talk about it the next day in the media and in the papers. Mm-hmm. Everyone has skin in the game, if purely just for crack. There are losers, there are winners. Um, like a sporting event, 
crowds of people get together to watch, not just people who can go physically to the event, but there are viewing parties now. People go over to yeah. each other's houses. They've got themes for the Oscars, for the BAFTAs, for the SAGs, for the IFTAs. Let's throw in the Irish one there as well. It's become <laughs> such a huge thing. And there are chants, you know, you're going for your favourites, you're going for the underdogs. Uh, you're wondering about what's going to be, what's going to surpri- surprise you. And like a bad tackle in a game, you know, that results in a red card. A bad outfit could have you at home yeah. grimacing like you stubbed your toe and then you walked into a door. It's a sporting event. So right. Like it's not, it's been dismissed for so long for girls and gays and a stupid thing. But another thing about this And I know this isn't all men and I know it's not men that just throw this away under, you know, dismiss it like that. But if you just look at the stats, right, the world sporting industry is about it's worth about 526 billion. That's huge. So we're talking about all levels of it. It's probably a little bit more about that. But the world fashion industry is worth 695 billion. And for such yeah. a huge industry to be dismissed all the time as something frivolous, when it is something that creates jobs, it can make or break economies and companies and people, for it not to be held in as high regard as sport, which has whole, whole sections dedicated to it in papers every single day, bonkers and madness. It's it's such an amazing point and it really opened up my eyes because yeah that that day when you were texting me I was watching the Euros with my boyfriend or whatever and I'd been hearing him talk all uh year about like these various players who are kind of they're you know they're debuting or they're you know reaching the peak of their game and then I was watching Wimbledon and that um, amazing British player Emily Raducanu was just kind of coming out this was like her big debut but it's the exact same when you're watching an individual star's journey Mm -hmm. on a red carpet season like they use these red carpets to make their debuts like I always think of like um when Saoirse Ronan was doing the award season for Brooklyn it was a moment where it was like I am a grown-up now. You have watched me, like, in the little kid dresses for atonement and all that. This is the debut. It was like her cotillion. It was like, here are my princess dresses. Here are my plunging necklines. Here's my sequins. Here's my panda eyes. And it was like, okay, we we are now beckoning in the Saoirse era. And it's just like an athlete that way, right? Like, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, they're coming in. They've had some promising outings at, like, festival, you know. Gone from the under-20s. They've been called up to the senior team. No more junior Bs for you. I'm using a lot of G. AA terms for English listeners I'm very sorry UK <laughs> listeners sorry about that but it is it's your arrival onto a stage and we can we can all see in the world of celebrity how many people don't make that transition that Saoirse Ronan has had but more and more mm. people are making it and you do get to you get to champion them and you're behind them and you're like oh look at how they've changed into this fantastic player that's reached their potential because like so many other people um, in the world of sport you would have people that don't reach the potential that we thought that they were going to reach. Um, yes. I don't want to name names because some are still playing and you're like, oh no, that's not fair. They're still there. But you know, they there were such <laughs> huge hopes for them. And and like that, you know, you can see it in the world of celebrity with, dare we say, a poor Lindsay Lohan. You know, we thought that she was going to be a Saoirse Ronan, uh, but it falls down. And the red carpet, as you have just said, is how is how we see that. But it's also, it's a stage. It's a pitch. That we're going, what are we going to see happen on this pitch today? We don't know the drama. We don't know the incidents. We don't know the off the ball play that's going to be happening. Yes. It's all there. It's all there. I'm already just, I'm pumped. I feel like, like I'm at 
like a sporting event right now. I'm just like ready. But there's so much, like it's tied up with the fact that like, okay, so red carpets kind of debuted in 1922. I, I did way okay. too much research for this. I'm lost. As did I. I. I read some like B2B books about the fashion industry that are for people in the fashion industry for this. I can't wait to drop some anecdotes. But yes, give me the history. Well, there's not, well, I ended up going... Going back to, I saw the notes, Marin. You're back in biblical times with this. Name the most hetero and kind of misogynistic or anti-woman book in the world. The Bible. The Bible. It's full of fashion. It's full of fashion. Literally, right? They're talking about carpets all the time and that. They can't shut up about fashion in the Bible. I'm like... All right, lads, calm down. We all know Jesus had a seamless one-thing garment. They couldn't stop going on about his seam-free garment. He had the original seam-free pants on so that you couldn't see the line. That's all over the Bible. Is that actually in there? It's in the Bible because everyone oh else, they God. had seams in their clothes, but Jesus was special. He didn't have a seam in He his. had a seam-free garment. He had no VPL. Mm-hmm. That's our BG Jesus. Uh, so it's just, it's tied up in absolutely everything. But I suppose there have been questions about are red carpets inherently anti-feminist? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we're taking these incredibly successful women and making them parade down a runway. And making them dolls, like fashion dolls, right? Yeah, or like they're at a pageant, do you know? Yeah. That we're kind of, oh, we're going to judge you and who's got the best dress. But... And, and of course, up until, and I would say very recently, maybe at the very start of red carpets, uh, it was a definite fashion moment for men. But then for about 50 years, they were just forgot. Because what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lad in a suit. Another black suit. Yeah. Look look at his watch. Or like every now and then when you're watching old episodes of Fashion Police, they'll be like, oh, Antonio Banderas. I love the way he's got white piping on his trouser line. And you're like, who gives a fuck when like your one Renee Zellweger's out there with the metallic silver peplum? Like, I don't give a fuck <laughs> if Antonio Banderas has some white piping, you know? Like Renee can't breathe for four hours because of what she's wearing. This is yeah. high endurance. <laughs> You know, sports yeah. here, lads. You know, this isn't for Antonio with the same. Because what are you going to say? You've got no skin, skin in the game until recently. An awful lot has mm. changed in the last four years when it comes to men. But, and it could actually be said that red carpets were sexist against men for a while. Because we didn't care. Yeah. We didn't talk about them. We didn't do anything. But I don't think, like, do you think that there is a feminist issue or an anti-feminist issue at play here? Well, I thought about this a lot because... Yes, there is a very dystopian Handmaid's Tale angle where you could like, okay, we're going to get these women and let's, and like for, you know, brevity, we're going to talk about actors really because those are, and, and, and to a smaller extent musicians because those are the people that we generally watch on the red carpets. Yeah. And people who like, you know, studied method and like, you know, like Ruth Negga went to Trinity and then Rada and all that, like people who've gone through intense academic experiences to learn their craft and we're going to treat them like dolls mm-hmm. and and just sort of parade them around and things and make and and that whole thing about ask her more and all that but on the other hand you risk a lot on the red carpet but you gain a lot on the red carpet and you gain a lot in a way that like I don't think men can gain it I think a lot about Jennifer Lawrence in the red Calvin Klein dress when she was nominated for Best Actor for Winter's Bone. Now, nobody fucking saw Winter's Bone. Like, people who love Jennifer Lawrence now 
seek out Winter's Bone. But then it was like a, an indie movie that was kind of grim. Take out the kind of, it was just grim. That was just like, I'm not watching this on a Friday night. Thanks very much, lads. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. I remember, yeah, no. Um, but I remember the first time I ever, she entered my consciousness was when she was in that gorgeous red halter Calvin Klein. She had this beachy blonde hair and she just looked like a babe. And she just was such a, I just, you, you just remembered the silhouette so well. You remembered how she looked. And so that made me, whenever, when I saw The Hunger Games, I was like, oh, of course. And like that imprinted in my head, like a baby duckling seeing its mother in a way that I'm sure there was lots of upcoming nominated actors that night who are men who I never thought of and have never thought of since. I still don't know what so many male actors who I've seen look like. Tom Hardy, I don't know what Tom Hardy looks like. I have face blindness with that man because it's just another man in the sea of men. So it's like, you and also, okay, another one. There are women out there now that will be running up with pictures of Tom Hardy to you going, put him in your spank bank, Caroline, you're missing out. So I'm not a Tom Hardy girl myself, but I can't wait. But there are Tom Hardy. I do understand that. Another one I think of is, I'm sorry, I don't see, I don't really see oscar movies. I don't really watch depressing movies. I didn't go to see 12 Years a Slave. But what I did see was Lupita Nyong'o in that powder blue dress looking like a princess. (laughs) And that's when I think about Lupita Nyong'o, I think about her in that dress. Lupita Nyong'o, when she emerged onto the scene and and that dress, if you're, I don't know if there's a companion to this, you can just Google these if you're walking around listening to us in your ear holes. Uh, She changed everything that year because she was reintroducing colour in a way that hadn't been used in a time like that, just vibrant and hopeful. And it also differentiated herself from her character, much like... Uh, Jennifer Lawrence it was a miserable yes. Winter's Bone was so miserable she comes out in this red dress and you're like oh you're good crack look at your your hair looks like you could go dancing like in Studio 54 it completely takes her away from the character that she was so that we could see her through different eyes and going oh she's multifaceted she's a person same with Lupita Nyong'o that whole 12 Years a Slave award season her dresses yeah. were like this is who I am. I represented this strong, this amazing character. But that movie, I mean, honestly, I, I wanted to chop my, I wanted to rip my eyes out. It's very, 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 very difficult. And then you see her and you're like, oh my God, this woman has so many things going on. I am yeah. not just categorizing her in this way as the woman who is going to do very hard to watch movies. She's ready for so much yes. more. You're so right. She's playful. She's sophisticated. She's young. She's fashionable. You know, it's, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. And it was because I think for someone like Lupito as well, uh, because of her background, so much was put on her. Can you imagine that sort of pressure where she's not just going on, like, you know, being from Mexico, but a whole continent. People were like, she's the African actress. When you're like, lads, there's over 50 countries in Africa. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot going on there. Stop putting everything on one person. But she did. She took it. And uh, and she was just fantastic. Every single thing for that. Every single time she's on the carpet. You're like, I'm, I cannot wait. You're, yeah, you're waiting for Lupita. She's one of my yeah. favourite players. Yes. Yeah. And the thing about the thing about players that I find so fascinating is that. And the more you I, I don't know a lot about. I'm just someone who likes clothes, but doesn't know fuck all about designers. But the more you look into it the more fascinating it gets because like a football team the biggest players are owned by the biggest teams Mm -hmm. so Chanel 
owns Margot Robbie, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Like she got <laughs> They do. She plays they are. Chanel. Yeah. She's yeah. like it's the same as like Beckham and Manchester United. Like it's the same it's she's on their team. Shame she's it, their it, star it player. Is like Michelle Williams with Louis Vuitton. That's who she plays for. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. Yeah. And they had these big sponsorship deals, but um Margot Robbie's stylist, um, who styled her for her whole I Tanya run, um, even though she didn't win in the best actress category. Uh, her stylist came out and said, yeah, the day after the Oscars, I got a call from Chanel with a, for a huge sponsorship deal. And that was her winning. <laughs> like that was, we knew she was, she's too young. She's too green for that award. But we knew we, we wanted a huge sponsorship deal at the end of this. And they got one. See how it all tied up. Because I, Tanya is a movie that she was the producer of. It was a passion project. Mm-hmm. She made no, like very little money from it. It started to make money um, afterwards. Uh, because people mm-hmm. are like, who is this woman? Because she had been made, we'd seen her on the red carpet. That is yeah. what's at play with women all of the time. Because when it comes to how much money people are making, women are always going to be way, 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 way behind the men. Like if you look at, so this is for 2019 or 2020. So the top female earners took home 315 million before fees and taxes. Mm. And then the top men, the top 10 male actors, they're 600 million. So they use the red carpet as a way to make money so that they can fund passion projects and do more indie movies. And Hathaway does it. She got a big sponsorship deal after 2011, after The Devil Wears Prada with Tiffany. You know, she was paid three quarters of a million to wear their jewels on the red carpet to the Oscars. And then you're not making the money that men are making. But you subsidize it. Now, a lot of money to them and a lot of money to us. You know, give me a fiver. I'll, I'll throw on a necklace. Grant, no hassle. For them, it's three quarters of a million. We're, we're talking about different worlds here now, people. But, but she gets to do more indie movies because they see her on the red carpet and they're like, she's viable. She's getting in all the magazines, all the pictures. Everyone's talking about her. Give her money. And she's supplementing her income that way so that she can then, like Margot Robbie, she can go off and be more of a producer, put more money into her production company and therefore look uh, for the movies that she wants, just like Reese Witherspoon. She's done that for years. And it's incredible. It's amazing infinity loop then because the more money they have to put into projects, the more diverse characters they get to play and dramatic roles they get to play, the more we see them in these raw, stripped down roles. Then And then we see them for, on the red carpet promoting that role, looking like a million bucks. And we're we're back in that fantasy of like, oh, well, she plays, a, you know, a, a drug addict in this, but she looks like this over here. And it's it's very exciting to us when we have that dichotomy that gets to exist in our head. It's why everyone loves Charlize Theron. See, Charlize Theron is such an interesting case because Mm -hmm. we know her now as Charlize Theron. She's fantastic. She can do absolutely anything. And then here in Ireland, we've got a a special connection with her because she went out for Stuart Townsend for so long that we think that she's ours. (laughs) We do think, I do think that she's ours. Yeah. She went to the protest at the Hill of Tara when they wanted to build a motorway. I mean, she had her placard out. So, okay, a brief aside about the Irish and how we feel about celebrities. Yes. So people always say to me, my English friends are like, "Um, you seem to adopt celebrities very quickly, considering the fact that anybody who claims they're from Irish or they have Irish ancestry, you despise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And I'm like, yes, that is true. That is a dichotomy. We hate people who claim to have an Irish grandmother. We love any, um, we love Matt Damon when he comes to say in, uh, where was he again? He was in Dorky. He was in Dorky. The thing is, 
We hate people who claim ancestry, but we love people who spend even one day here. Yeah, it's one day. And especially if they can be someone like Rachel McAdams who comes here all the time, but no one ever knows because everyone, we are so self-congratulatory in Ireland about how, oh sure, they're just another person, we're grand. It's started to change recently. People have started to get selfies. But for years it was like, is that who I think it is? It is, yeah. How are you walking out? Oh, we think we're so, we're like, we're not impressed by celebrities. I know. And it, we totally negate our own chillness by talking about how chill we are. Yeah. Oh. It's oh, about like God. that girl who says that she's fine with it being friends with benefits, but she keeps saying it. Yeah, that's it. You keep, if you keep saying that enough, they're definitely going to think that you're bo- girlfriend and boyfriend. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Gonna, we think they're going to move here. You know, it's like, guys, we yeah. gave you so many tax exemptions. Come back, come back. So Charlize Theron, back to Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron was really coming onto the scene 1999 and 2000. And in the year 2000, she wore this tangerine gown by Vera Wang to her very first mm. Oscars. It's She's rarely worn a dress that you don't go that is unbelievable she was like something right out of the 1940s it was a halter neck it was sheer nips were on show go Charlie's do your thing it was ruched at the bottom backless it's stunning just google it 2000 Charlie's Theron Oscars dress um, but in 2004 she spoke about how that dress almost ruined her career <gasps> completely before it had started So, uh, and it was completely unintended, obviously. And she says, um, I can't tell you how many times I've auditioned for a role only to have my agent come back and say, listen, Charlize, they saw you in the orange dress and they don't think you can do it. Wow. So her looking like so much of a bombshell, a 1940s bombshell, almost killed her career. This is when, yeah, this was at the start when when she was just starting herself and Cameron Diaz. Mm. This is the roles that they were. They were blonde, they were dumb, that was it. And that's why she was so passionate about Monster in 2004. So not only did she love the story, she produced it, she was incredibly involved. But she went on to say, I finally thought that this was the movie that would let people, and we're talking about the men in power, see her in a different way that she could do so much more. So it's why she championed it and she and she fought for that movie for so long because she was like, I'm I'm getting one movie role every year and it's just yeah. playing the dumb blonde who's who's that character that spurs the male action forward. And she was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And that was all oh, because her. of an Oscars dress. So it makes or breaks wow. careers. And she decided that she had to do something about it to uh, to turn that all around. And now she wears whatever the hell she wants because she's Charlize Theron. When you were, so what I, what I find as well fascinating about the red carpet concept is that because these images travel so far and so wide, they become these really defining concepts for how women understand beauty. And I'm curious to know when you were growing up, what was the red carpet image that was like seared in your brain? It's like, that's how a lovely lady looks, you know? There are a few. Um, there are a few. It would definitely be when when I was young, when I saw Sharon Stone, was it in 1998, when she was on the Oscars red carpet wearing a shirt. With the white shirt and the purple satin dress skirt. Yes. And it just reminded me of, you know, my school uniform. Because in Ireland we wear, well, in Limerick, sorry, where I'm from, uh, not where Caroline's from, because their skirts are up their hoops in Cork. I swear to God, <laughs> if you can't see a bit of pubic hair, are. the skirt isn't short enough. That's That Cork is, woo! 
Yeah, we're we're a legs county. We are yeah. a legs county. We're called the nuns in Limerick because if yeah, our skirt were, yeah. isn't on, if, if it isn't touching the ground, it's not good enough. Like we got to the stage where I'm, I was growing and mom was like, I'm not buying you any more skirts. So I used to have to leave the zip open at the side so that it could trail along oh. the ground because it kept on going up my legs. Um, so when I saw her, I was like, she's wearing, she's wearing my school uniform. Like she's wearing a shirt. This long purple skirt and a white shirt. And a shirt. I had a, Blue shirt and a navy skirt. I was like, look how she made that fantastic. That's amazing. So, you know. That is so powerful. It's it's sort of that equivalent as well of when you're really young and like wrapping a towel dress around you and sort of pretending like it's a red carpet moment because you're like, ooh, my little strapless moment. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I still to this day, I try to do the tie in the middle, you know, those 1940s dresses that go with the tie in the middle. It's like a rose in the middle and then it all comes out like in the Philadelphia story. Yes. When I see people on Instagram doing that, when they're doing their makeup routines and the towel just stays, I'm like, come on now. How are the boobs not out all the time? But yeah, it is that childhood towel moment. Uh, Sharon Stone was definitely one of that for me. But also that year, it was 1998 as well. And this is not a big fashion moment for, I always say it. and Everyone's like, what? So Mini Driver in 1998. Goodwill Hunting. So Mm -hmm. she had just come off doing Circle of Friends. Again, this is tied to Ireland. So Maeve Binchy, one of the greatest novelists of all time. One of my favourite books of all time, I think, Circle of Friends. And there's a great, we have a great episode on that book. So everyone, if you're interested, go back and listen. Unbelievable. It's the sort of thing, it really brings up, I'm loath to say it, but you know, Colm Tobin has kind of been trying to write a Circle of Friends his entire life. He's an amazing writer, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying Maeve Binchy was doing it for years and she kind of never got the plaudits. I don't think, mm-hmm. personally. I agree, I agree. You know, she she could just, oh God, her whole back catalogue. Anyway, so they were filming, they'd filmed for Circle of Friends in Ireland. So it was like Colin Firth was here uh, doing it just after he did Darcy. He had that really horrible yeah. moustache and Saffron Burrows and Alan Cummings and Minnie Driver did this amazing Irish accent as Benny. And, yes. you know, the whole thing with Benny is that you know, she's this frumpy girl who can't get it right and she's never going to find love. And next thing Chris O'Donnell comes along and she can't believe that he's going to like her. So I just remember when we were teenagers, we just took Benny to our hearts. We just loved mm. her so much. And Mini Driver was so good that I've loved her ever since. Then Gross Point Blank came out in 1997, still my favourite movie of all time. And Goodwill Hunting. 
And there was this whole thing about herself and Matt Damon. They found love on the set. Everyone was obsessed. This is real yeah. celebrity time. Everyone was obsessed with their relationship. And she walked the red carpet in this red Halston gown. And uh, she had a fur stole. Hopefully fake fur. I don't know. And it is the most beautiful thing. And then she just had her black curls. They were luxuriant. They were vibrant. She looked so beautiful, so oh, confident. Oh, I'm looking at it now. Oh, she's fabulous. Oh, such a moment. All-time favourite, 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 favourite dress because she walked that red carpet. She was like, I have arrived. And of course, she'd been through a lot because herself and John Cusack had been together during Growth Point Blank and then they had broken up. And then she was going out with Matt Damon this was in March. They were still going out walking the red carpet. She walked it by herself. And then a few weeks later on Oprah, he publicly breaks up with her. She didn't know that they were yeah. broken up with. So oh. that moment in time has always. So this was after that, that breakup moment? Just after. I always remember <gasps> that red dress because it just happened a couple of weeks later. He broke up with her publicly. And that moment where she looked so good and it was her time to arrive. Like everyone was like, Mini Driver is the next big thing. She's going to get all the next big roles. And this breakup kind of changed her career. Like it really did. It changed things that she yeah, got. It, it put the stink on her. It put the, because it's so, that business is so much about aura and so much about being wanted and being lusted after that the, the idea of a man publicly rejecting you and you don't even know yeah. puts this sort of thin film of stink on you that then endears you to women but horrifies you to the male gatekeepers and Matt Damon control everything was one of the Miramax Golden Boys Golden Boys one of the Harvey Weinstein Golden Boys and yeah. and she was on the outs that was it and yeah. as a result that dress which is just fantastic in and of itself but it's always stayed with me as being like this was her moment and it got taken away from her but also it just looks fantastic everyone google the dress Oh, I'm looking at it now. And it's, do you want, I think there are, for me, two distinctive genre of red carpet dress. There's the red carpet dress that pushes the envelope, like something that Rihanna might wear or Janelle Monet might wear, where it's like taking a traditional silhouette and like blowing it up and adding a kind of an, a level of costumery and art and it's like a living painting and those are the things that become these like, images that just stay in our heads and they you want to you want them as posters on your wall. There's so many Rihanna moments I can think of, like her all the, all the all the Met Galas and they exist in one category. But then there is the other category and Mini Driver in this red dress is one of them. Um, Michelle Williams in the yellow Vera Wang is another. The Brokeback Mountain Year. Yes, the Brokeback Mountain Year, red lip side bun. Um, the the picture I went to when my sister was getting married and I was her bridesmaid. I went to the hair and makeup girl with the with the eight by ten of that of Michelle Williams's face <laughs> that I had printed out in a web cafe. Um, but this second category that Mini Driver and Michelle Williams represent is the kind of dress that ordinary women look at and be like, oh, maybe I could wear that. Yes. It's the kind of thing that filters down into dress shops. It filters down to Deb's dresses and prom dresses and all that kind it's of accessible. stuff. And then they become part of the market. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a huge industry. Um, there's loads yeah. of documentaries out there if you want to look, uh, look at it. And I know it's not great and there's fast fashion and it's awful. But the next day in LA, they will pick 10 dresses. There's this one place and they'll pick 10 dresses and they will start mass producing straight away. 
yeah. as soon like as yeah. soon as the red carpet is over, they go and they spend two hours going. These are the ten that everyone's going to want to that's going to want. Let's start right away now, and they start copying the designs. So it filters down to you're dead right. It filters down to everything. But then there are the avant garde that that also yeah. push the envelope. Like when you mentioned Janelle Monet, was it last year when she wore it was like the Joan of Arc suit of armor yeah. dress where it yeah. had a hood and it went all the way and it was a classic silhouette but it was armory and yeah. I was like that is it was a work it was it was an artwork it's oh it's so good it's so fantastic because these these two sort of categories and maybe there are more categories I don't know but like they um bolster each other because the the Janelle Monet moments the Rihanna moments they put the case forward that fashion is living art mm-hmm. and so it justifies us talking about these garments <laughs> and then and then these other kind of more trad gowns come in and you're like but we want to look pretty and just buy this uh. from warehouse you know when it finally filters down i mean it's that iconic uh meryl street moment of devil wears prada with the blue jumper yes. right that every woman who, who's even partially interested in clothes remembers that like i think it was a. Uh, I think it was Vera Wang, wasn't it? That had not not blue, but cerulean, and then it filtered down, and then <laughs> until it ended up in your JC Penny or whatever, and she goes through the whole <laughs> yeah. layers. Well, you fished it out of some bargain bin. That's it. There, but like, isn't it just fun when you're playing, like when you're playing sort of bingo? I stay up for the last three or four years. When I joined Instagram, I was like, I just love red carpets. I was like, I'm going to do the red carpet every. Every red carpet that I can think of, I stay up. If it's mm. in America, I stay up. I watch it live. I do the thing. It's a bit bitchy, but it's bit, it's not bitchy. It's kind of celebrating everything, but it's fun. So in, yeah. in 2019, Emily Blunt, when she was up at the SAG Awards for Best Actress in A Quiet Place, what a flopping movie and A Quiet Place 2. It was my first cinema experience after the pandemic. Sorry, that we were allowed to go during the pandemic there recently. I know mm. it's still on. And uh, bloody amazing. But she arrives to the SAG Awards in something that, a dress that just looked like a clitoris. And I was just like, you know, people are like, why do you stay up? You know, you're going to work the next day. I'm like, this is why. Because Emily Blunt has walked on a red carpet looking like a fucking clitoris. And it's amazing. I love it so much. Emily Blunt. Scroll down. SAG scroll Awards. down. Scroll down there. I put it in. I put it in the dock. It's or Google. Oh, it is in the dock. Okay, let's look at the clitoris dress. I will make a make a ruling on whether or not it is indeed a clitoris. And by the way, everyone, I will have um, all these images on my Instagram. I'm at Zaronline. And um, you're at Murren O'Connell, so I'm sure you'll have some images as well. Um, where is this glitteris? Wow. Right? That is a labia minora. <laughs> Woo! It's like she's being oh birthed. Her head is coming out of herself. It's like she's giving birth to herself. It is like she's giving birth to herself. Her moment. She has arrived. I just remember... People being like, why do you stay up? I'm like, because this, it's fun. Who knew that Emily Blunt would give birth to herself on a fucking red carpet? Like, come on, lads. This is just great crack. It's just great crack. It really is. It's great crack. And it's the sort of thing, if you go back even further, because it's always been tied up in the political, right? Without a shadow mm-hmm. of a doubt. So back in 1936, um, they, they told... They were told women, you know, the, the studio bosses, they were like, mm. you need to be more glamorous, sexier, more alluring, sultry on the red carpet. So Bette Davis, uh, Betty Davis went into the costume department, grabbed a dress 
from a film called The Housewife and wore that to accept her Oscar because she was like, fuck you, don't tell me what to wear. And oh, she went love pure dowdy. So it's all tied up in the political and people being able to make a statement about who they are or going against their bosses and going, oh. I can't be arsed. For you, when you were like, when you were young, what was the moment that you were like, I like this red carpet stuff? Um, The first thing I remember is the Halle Berry sort of translute. It's an Eli Saab gown. It's... um. Uh, everyone remember it. She accepted the award for Monsters Ball and it, it's sort of a, a translucent top with beading that very artfully covers everything and then this very full red skirt and it's sort of, it's this incredible thing of like um, this, it's kind of risque while being incredibly elegant at the same time and that was not a usual thing to see then. It, like It felt like in a sea of like princess cut dresses, yes. this sort of, this sort of this creature emerging and she just was so different and it was so gorgeous and it really stuck in my head. But this week I learned an incredible thing about that dress, which is, so I read this book, the title of which I forget, but it isn't very good. So I'm not recommending it. Um, um, But it's basically about, um, it was written by a fashion agent who represents designers and tries to get things on the red carpet. So there are a few good anecdotes in it. And one of them was this, this, this Lebanese designer, Eli Saab, who, who really was a very small fry. And this is like when we're talking about these underdog moments um, that happen in fashion, just like they happen in sport. Eli Saab is definitely one of them. So Eli Saab pitched this beautiful red dress to Annabella Shora, who was up for a Best Supporting Nom at the Golden Globes for The Sopranos. And this was in the late 90s. And it was, you know, they, they had done the fittings, they had gone through the entire rigmarole of, you know, doing jewelries and accessories and all that. And then suddenly, a day before the awards, Annabella turned around and she said, this is a winner's dress and I'm not going to win this year. And I'm, I'm going to feel like a tit, basically, if I'm wearing the winner's dress and I'm not the winner. What? And so she decided, I know, isn't that mad? And so she decided she wasn't going to wear it. Eli Saab was obviously devastated. This was supposed to be her big moment. And then two years later, Halle Berry wears it for accepting the Oscar for Monsters Bowl. Because it is the winner's dress. You're, are you kidding me? No, it's a real story. That is amazing. Yeah. And then uh, Eli Saab is like one of the huge, she still dominates the red carpet. She's still huge. She dresses everybody, you know. It's so funny because of everything that happened with Annabella Sciorra anyway in relation to Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement. Yeah, yeah, That yeah. even then she was kind of thinking, this isn't a winner's dress. Yeah. So weird to know that about you, to be up for an award and to have everyone around you who loves you and who works for you saying, it's your year, Annabella, it's your year, Annabella. And for you to know in your heart that it's not your year and that you're going to feel like a tit in this like really, for the time, quite avant-garde piece that's so lush and so royal. That is kind of amazing. I, but you yeah. see, isn't that interesting about power plays? Because... yeah. I had to go to this, I used to work on the radio and I got very publicly fired and it was all very embarrassing. And then I had to go to these fucking awards because I was up for one from a show oh. I'd been fired from. And I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going, oh I'm not God. going, I'm not going. I didn't know any of this about you. Wow. Yeah, it was all, it was great crack. It was so much fun. And um, I was like, I'm not going. And then friends of mine were like, you have to go. You have to say a massive fuck you to your one. And I was like, oh, this is not the person who took my job. This is the person who was involved in fire me. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. So I knew I wasn't going to win. Like, I absolutely knew there's no way I'm winning. Not a hope in hell. I was up for a couple. 
And then I was like, I'm, no, I'm not going to go. Or if I am going, I'll just run in and run out and I'm just going to wear it. And a friend just yeah. went, what do you think you're doing? Don't even think about it. So I went off and I rented this fuck off ridiculous dress like <sighs> power play shoulders cut all the way down to kind of my midriff in a V. Yeah. Real sucky in a long train. Like I went all out. Oh, uh, you flicked the V at them. Fucking hell. And I honestly, it made me feel, I didn't give a shit about not winning. Didn't care. It was more about kind of saying to this one person, I don't give Fuck a shit you. what you're after doing to me. And it was, it was about the, and I felt better in the dress as a result. It was more a power oh. play for the industry. I hadn't associated the two until you just said that, actually. Oh, my God. But that it's, all, it's the famous Diana moment as well. It's the revenge dress. Everyone calls it the revenge yes. dress. The way that we communicate to what to, to the public through our clothing is fascinating to me. And the red carpet is where that happens. Yeah, it does. Because, it you know, with all kind of breakups and all this kind of stuff, like you always see Jennifer Aniston every time she's on a red carpet and... After she broke up with Brad or Justin, you know, it's analysed so much where the fact is is that Jennifer Aniston has essentially been wearing the same dress for 20 years and fair play to her. That's what you like. (laughs) It is the thing about her is that, you know, she's eternally Jennifer Aniston. She's always, that's why it's interesting about the morning show. We're seeing a different side to her and, and her fashion kind of reflects she's she's the never aging one from friends you know that sort of a way mm. the eternal youth and she stayed that way she hasn't had the kids and and everything like that um and i've always thought that was kind of interesting about her fashion choices and and everything like that and then i suppose will we will we bring up will we bring up will we talk about the dress that launched a thousand means the the Angel- the angelina jolie one angelina jolie the leg the leg what did it mean? <laughs> there really was a year there where you couldn't go anywhere without seeing that leg. Like it was, it was superimposed onto everything. The Pope, <laughs> presidents, World Cup finals, you know, any sort of, like I remember football games and it was like Angelina Jolie, Jolie's leg is going for the ball. You know, the Pope was doing a big thing in Peter Square. Angelina Jolie's leg was there. I think it went to space. Like <laughs> it was, it was so weird about what what happened, and then there were articles about it for weeks. What was she thinking, Angelina Jolie? Furious at stylist because she chose this dress that made her leg stick out. I was like, sure, she just stuck out her leg. The leg looks she good. She stuck out the leg. She stuck out the leg. I suppose the slit was in a bit of the wrong place, but why? Why not? It was sort of a stance of like, I'm a little teapot. But yes, also, I don't care, you know, herself and Brad were there. They'd always been sort of um, they'd always been sort of a power couple since everything had happened. Like their their arrival on the red carpet was really important because so many people were team Ange and team Jen. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there going, no one was team Ange. Like it took it took like Angie Jolie saving a lot of orphans for anyone to like. <laughs> <laughs> to see her as being redeemed in the public eye. <laughs> no one was Team Ange. And it was so weird that entire, this is a bit of a, we're derailing a bit, but like, it was so weird that Jennifer Aniston became the template of the, the normal girl and the girl next door, like the stunning actress who was the it girl of the 90s. And then suddenly we're like, oh, Jen is like us. Jen is like me. <laughs> 
And Andrew Jolie is the wicked temptress who wears blood around her neck and stuff. And Brad has nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with Brad Pitt. Oh yeah, you know, it's just we have to pick one of the one of the women, which was so weird and played out in the red carpets that whole time. Those there was four years there where they were analysed side by side. Would they both show up? Would they be at the same events? Oh, Jen hasn't done a movie because Angelina is going to be nominated for things this year, so she's not done a movie. So that she doesn't have to attend. Like there was all this shit. It's insane. Yeah. It's so, But again, the same shit happens in sports the whole time. Which kind of brings me to the Joan Rivers effect. Which I think people have really... Because she is the, the queen of red carpet commentary. And even now people feel very divided in how they felt about the, what she did in the red carpet. I'm personally a Joan Rivers fan. I enjoy... I loved the construction of this like bitchy horrible woman and I also sort of love the I, I love the kind of irony and the fun of the fact this woman who's like been this hard scrabble little armadillo woman with the mad face and the mad hair who's been like you know clinging on to fame since you know her sort of early 20s and she's been around forever and she's always been an outsider and female comedians have always been outsiders the fact that she could like just sit on fashion police and look at Natalie Portman and be like, oh, she looks awful. Oh, I hate it. The idea that she could look at these women who are clearly these like the incredible um, beauties in their like gods or statues or paintings come to life. The idea that this, this kind of 65 year old woman go, oh, I hate it, was very liberating on an individual basis. I think it all made us feel good. <laughs> What did she say something once? I don't know if it, I think it was I don't know if it was about Michael Douglas or a female actor and she was like oh it looks like my vagina's been turned inside out I was like what are you doing? You're just she could say what everyone else was thinking and she thought about the red carpet as as a fun place where commentary is needed and you're bringing it yeah. back to the sports metaphor because commentary is normally associated with sports but this is, this is exactly what she did when she was on the red carpet, first of all, with Melissa interviewing people. And she mm-hmm. scared them so much that their publicist would have to tell them how to react to her. Or um, she got too, she got, she got a bit too much one year and she lost her contract because they were like, it's too much. People don't want to talk to you. We have to calm down. Because this was a time before publicists controlled everything. Like, you know, mm. these days when you go to a big... One thing that really kind of gets to me is these um, celeb things in like Vogue or Elle where it's one actor interviewing another actor. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, oh, what do you like about acting? Well, pretending. Oh, me too. I like pretending also. (laughs) But journalists are there for a reason. They're the ones who do the research. They're the ones who find the nitty gritty. They're the ones who do the proper deep dives. That's what journalists are there for. They're there to find the deep, dark secrets. They're there to bring out the person that you are. And and Joan sort of did that because all fashion is related to who you are, what you're comfortable in. That's why I think it's so difficult sometimes for people on the red carpet. You know, the way you hear stories about, I chose it three hours beforehand because there was 10 dresses. Yeah. Sometimes they don't know who they're going to go as. Because it's very hard, I think, up until recently for actors to be themselves. But it feels like there was a change in like 2015, 2016. And Mm. with the arrival of things like Instagram or whatever, where you can talk directly to people 
and your words mightn't be able to be misconstrued as much as they were before. And it's the sort of thing that, without a shadow of a doubt, I think Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington have brought about a little bit more power there. But Joan, mm. she lampooned everything. Because yeah. it's an industry that takes itself so seriously. That's it. And it got, it can be very po-faced. Like it really can. You know, when it started the, the Ask Her More campaign in 2015, yeah. which I agreed with, by the way, because it was really weird. They did all these things where they panned up and down women's bodies. They never did that to the men in the suits. Um, they, they only asked women about what are you wearing? What are your jewels? And then men, it was like, so with your role, like that year was one of my favorite years of red carpet interviews because I thought that Juliana Rancic and Ryan Seacrest's heads, their little heads were going to explode off their bodies because they were like, fuck, we've got to ask them shit. What? No, yeah. I don't like they just it was if you ever want to go back and just see two people being incredibly uncomfortable at having to actually ask questions, it's brilliant. But now it's gone back. They're asking a little bit more, but they're also asking about the fashion as well, which is great. The thing about Ask Her More is that it it, it is incredibly well intentioned and like so many great people got behind it and been like, yeah, these are these are great, like creative women and they have things to say and we should ask them what they are and blah, blah. But also I do think that, that it has to be acknowledged that the teams of people that go behind these looks that only exist on this person's body for five or six hours, but the, uh, reading about how much goes into the planning of this thing. So I, I read this anecdote about um, uh, Helen Mirren, who is incredibly hard to get to because she's very, very choosy and she only wears sleeves. And lots of <laughs> and lots of designers um, will picture things that will, you know, in her eyes, go on a younger woman. So she doesn't really meet with people. Her stylist goes to meet people. So I read this whole thing about this designer who wanted to dress her. He, um, she flew out the stylist to Paris. They met in Paris. They did the sketches. They were sent back to Helen. Helen approved some. And then Helen wanted to get the dress made that she had chosen. Um, so he made he makes it to her entire specifications, like a total couture garment. Um, and then it is shipped to where she is in LA. And it is among 10 dresses that she has to choose from that day. So this is a person, this is an up and coming designer who has sank hundreds of hours in a very short period of time, probably between December and March, like trying to make this couture garment for this huge celebrity who may choose it on the day. And I do think that work and that athleticism and that craft should be acknowledged in a public forum because these are these are artists, these are designers, these are people who are staking everything. And it's not just about the woman wearing it, it's about the vision as well. So I do think there's a place for saying, who did who did your jewellery? Who is this dress? Why this dress? You know? Yeah, there absolutely is. There's a place for both. Hiya, you're nominated. Isn't that fucking fantastic? Also, that's a pretty nice guna. Tell us about that. <laughs> it's not hard to do both. Like, why it was such a big deal for these people yeah. on the red carpet to ask them more than one question. I was like, <laughs> when Reese started, I was like, it seems fairly obvious that you should be able to ask these women a few more things. Yeah. But at that stage, it had gotten so kind of beyond ridiculous degrading. Like, can you remember mm. the Manny cam? Oh my, of course I remember the Manny cam. If anyone remembers, the Manny cam was a tiny little red carpet that you used to walk <laughs> your little fingers up and down so you could check the hand jewellery and the manicure. They made women just... walk their fingers up and down a fake red carpet. 
carpet. It's so mental. So, and to see their form, to see if they could do to do it properly. I thought it was the most bonkers thing I had ever so seen. My, I was like, as if it's not hard enough to walk in fucking heels. Now you're making them do something that two-year-olds do. Like, come on, this yeah. has gone beyond. But the thing, the thing is, you're back back to the pole facing. There's a there's a world in which that's gas. Like, there's a world in which like it's really funny and like we all agree that it's we're, we're bringing a bit of levity to the situation but because Julia Juliana Rankick and Ryan Seacrest they're so serious and they really have no personalities they're like yeah and do you want to do you want to put your on the manic cam now please <laughs> they're so serious about it that's the thing if it was yeah. done with a wink and a nod great fun and then the whole thing came crashing to the ground when Elizabeth Moss was there and she was up for this was back in when she was doing Mad Men and she yeah. was there and, and Julia was like, Juliana was like, do you want to do the manicam? She was like, yeah, I, there was something that I really wanted to do the last time I was here, actually, but I didn't I didn't do it. And she was like, do it, do it. Oh, my God, this is E. We're broadcasting to 160 <laughs> countries around the world. People would love to see. And she goes, OK, she puts it down and she gives it the finger. And I thought <laughs> so rock and roll Juliana so good. was going to have a stress poo on the carpet. Her face. <gasps> <gasps> I was like, how did you not think that someone was going to tell your Manny Cam to fuck off at some stage? Come on. It was. I I love how Juliana Rankick has been doing this job forever and she still has never been chill a day in her life. It's like she always seems so nervous. She she does seem nervous and it's like she's like a spooked filly just this excitement and obviously the woman works incredibly hard to get to where she is she's got a lot going on in her life but the sense of fun where's the sense of fun yeah that's it you know how did you not know that that was going to happen but yeah you're right she always does seem stressed I always think she does someone just just give her a glass of Sauvignon Blanc there just, let's take it down a notch it'll be fine it's very warm it's very warm yeah. Juliana great like I'm still watching I'm I'm multi-watching every time they're on I've got E on one channel I've got ABC in America and another I'm like let's go I'm in I feel like we need to go to some what some horror moments we've talked about there being winners and losers what are the loser moments for you there's one thing that we see they're not kind of loser they kind of changed the way things go but there's one thing that you and I both talked about the night that I mm. screamed red carpet at you and it's a dress that's stuck out in both of our minds and mm. it's it's it, it was your suggestion and I was like yeah I just don't get it I don't get it and it's the uh, Julia Roberts Valentino black dress with the white piping I don't get it it makes the best dress list all the time of like all time greatest li- lists all the time. I don't under it's so boring. But it was that time where America's princess, which is mm-hmm. what Julia Roberts was, when she had finally gotten her Oscar. Like somehow yes. they were for given, Aaron Brockovich, I think for Aaron Brockovich. And that was a movie in which she had her bras on show. She was wearing really short skirts. Oh. Um, it was about her being viewed 
Erin Brockovich, the person herself, her story as being, you know, a woman who's a temptress. She was a single mother. You're so right. The marketing around that movie and the critical response to that movie, you would swear it was about like... Like Kim Cattrall's character in Sex and the City. You swear it was like a Samantha movie. It was like, oh, woman wears a bra and goes to court. <laughs> like it, they, it was marketed like a carry-on movie. It was so weird. Julia's sexiest role. She It wasn't a sexy role. She was an overworked single mother who was yeah. trying to discover why people were getting cancer in a certain area because chemicals were absolutely destroying their water. So this is based on the true story, but this is what it was. This is what the story yeah. was. She finally gets her Oscar, which people have been wanting for years because, and I will always be there, Julia Roberts is fucking fantastic. I just, pretty woman. Adore. Until the end of time. Don't talk to me about Runaway Bride. I will love it as well. I love Runaway Bride. I love Runaway Bride. When people give out about her accent in Michael Collins, I'm like, I don't care. Julia Roberts can do whatever the fuck she wants. Um, and then this gown, it's a classic American gown that they were harking back to um, to sort of the days of Audrey Hepburn, who wasn't American but was claimed yeah. as American, to the days of Grace Kelly. Yeah, this was what oh, the gown so was. She was the all-American girl finally getting what people had been rooting for, and they loved this dress because it. I think it's kind of a symbol of that classic American style. Whereas we look at it as going, it's just boring. And it's it's so true. It's again, it's once again, it's talking about that thing of like how the red carpet dress used to promote a movie acts as a kind of a counterweight to the character depicted in what we in what we're all thinking about. Because these actresses are going out night after night promoting this film, wanting you to think about them in that movie, but also wanting to have this very deliberate antithesis to it, which is wearing this. Black, Valentino, classic. I'd never thought of it that way, but you're so right. Because it was there was so much going on. I can't remember if she was with Danny Motor at this stage. Oh, I think she was she. And there had been the whole controversy about that as well, because he had been married before and what's the timelines with the Mexican and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was it was about making sure that her image was protected as also being, don't worry, still Julia Roberts, everything's fine. Because Julia oh, has had a Julia very Roberts. interesting off camera. Life, you know, the night before she was meant to marry Kiefer Sutherland in what, 1990, herself and Jason Patrick, their co-star in Flatliners, they ran away to Ireland together the night before the wedding. <laughs> Another celebrity in Ireland story. Lads, I'm, so, I'm not doing this on purpose. I'm not. <laughs> People just like coming to our country. They find it chill and fun. Because Runaway Bride, it was funny, wasn't it? She'd kind of run away from Benjamin Bratt around that time as well. Because um, they were meant to get married oh, yeah. and she ran away. And I love it. Uh, well, they Don't did forget. get married, but she ran away. That was very strange. That was she can't be satisfied. I was obsessed with that. But this was about her. She's still the all American girl, and this is a classic gown, and you can accept this because I think Julia probably in real life is a bit of an alternative person. Like she mm. almost broke the world when she went on the red carpet for the Notting Hill premiere in London, and she hadn't shaved under her arms. Yes. Oh, I love that picture. Her waving. I love it so much. And everyone, for years, it still comes up in articles, you know, the statement that Julia Roberts made by not shaving her armpits. And she was like, I wasn't, uh, it actually wasn't a statement. I just don't shave my armpits and I'm just a person. And I got into a dress. I didn't know that the sleeves were that short. Uh, It's so interesting what Julia Roberts does because she does telegraph a sort of a sense of blandness 
and of like yes. blankness sometimes. Yes. And she's just like, I just let my eyes and mouth do the thing and you're mesmerized when I'm on screen. And then there's a smoke screen of just like, yeah, I'm a softly spoken woman. Yeah. But you know, there's something subversive and like fucking a bit gnarly under the surface, but we'll never get to get to it. And that's what makes her still like the star. In my, even though she could not do a movie for 20 years. And in my head, she's still the biggest star in the world. A hundred percent. And she is one that you look to who has protected their life so incredibly well. Because she can be her real self and then she can still be the Julia Roberts that we yes. know and love. And you're dead right. One of the biggest film stars in the world and we barely ever bloody see her. Yes, so true. An- another moment of like a star trying to telegraph something that in I, in my opinion, they tried too hard and it went the other way is Lady Gaga's A Star Is Born Oscar season. Awards there season. can be there can be a hundred people in a room and ninety nine people ninety nine people won't believe in you, but you just need that one person. Shut up, Gaga! Can't do it anymore. Shut up, Gaga! Yeah, and like so, we we know her for years as being this like avant garde pop star who wears meat and like you know comes down the runway in an egg and all that kind of stuff. And then you know for her whole Star Is Born award season, not only is she giving these dull interviews. But she's also coming down the runway in these like, admittedly very beautiful, but extremely overblown old Hollywood dresses. Like they, they, she's got like puffs on the sleeves, like Cinderella, and like she's got these huge skirts, and like she's, it's almost like um the fifties on steroids. Like it's like more fifties than the fifties was. The wave. She and had the wave every the time. Wave. All of that, and I think, and if we think about who how everyone talks about A Star Is Born as being a... I, I, I personally, I fucking hated that movie. I thought it sucked. <laughs> oh my I God. I... But people really wanted it to win things and it really didn't. I think it won Best Original Song, but it lost everything else. And I think it's because if we think about who votes for the Oscars and who votes for these awards, it's people in the industry and they saw her like basically trying to be more Hollywood than Hollywood as this pop star. And I think they were like, fuck you. <laughs> I think it annoyed them. I think it was annoying to look at. It was annoying to be around. I couldn't agree more. I think it 100% annoying to be around. Every time that she was on a show, I was like, I don't want to watch it because she's given the same interview 17 times. Yeah. I cannot, like there was remixes on the internet about the 100 people in a room, 99 yeah. and one. I was like, I can't listen to this anymore. You're dead right. It's all about, I remember uh, it was Michael Fassbender a few years ago who gave an insight into it um, as to why he hadn't gone to things or done things for 12 Years a Slave for shame like all his Steve McQueen stuff and he was like no it's like being a politician you have to campaign for these things and I just don't care it's like I don't I don't want to spend six months going to dinners and shaking hands listen I was in a film I really enjoyed the film I think it's important film but I'm not going around sniffing people's arses for six months I just I'd like to live my life and I always knew it was political, but then I realized how political these things yeah. actually are because you have to like really suck up to people. And Gaga, you're dead right. I think it was too much. They were all like, she overplayed her hand. She And it was boring. And yeah. friends of mine died for it. They were like, oh, my God, it's so amazing. And not to be an arsehole, but I was like, have you watched the Barbra Streisand one? <laughs> I'm like, have you watched the Judy Garland one? The Judy one? Garland one. Like, they're... I just really fancy Chris Christopherson. But even with all of that, they... 
like Bradley Cooper was so po faced and she was so po faced about it. Yeah. The way the, this like stupid like popcorn movie that they were like really acting like they were doing Philadelphia or something like it was mad. they were changing the world. Oh my yeah. god! Bradley Cooper pissed himself on a fake award stage. This is acting. It's like no <laughs> lads. Having said that, I think that was the only part of the movie I enjoyed when he pissed himself. That that and when she stands up in the in the bath and her whole bush is out. I also that was that. that was very good. I enjoy. I'm like well done. Full bush. Fair play to you. I did. I do like shallow. Uh, that's, that's where you and I part. I know. I do like the song. I do. But that's about all that I that I like from that. Um, and it is. It's. Oh, yeah. They're just. Oh, God. I really. I really want to. Figuratively punch them in the face. You brought that back into my head now. I really. I know. It was so annoying. And like, I think they would have won a few more if they had been less annoying. If they'd been a bit, they of, really do. Can you be a bit? Of, um, be a bit of crack, lads. No. Okay. Be a bit of crack. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And the outfits were telegraphing that annoyingness. Oh yeah, yeah. Because she was because playing. I think as well, if you're if you're a first time nominee and you're a pop star and you're t- you're literally taking up the red carpet with so much material and and like you kind of want to be like. Stephanie Germanata, be a bit gracious now. Like this is Kate Winslet's fourth time here or whatever. Eleventh time here, you know, and she's having to hide, like, you know, walk fucking three meters behind you because you're a train. Have some respect for the women who've been here for 20 years. Yeah, you pup. You You pup. pup. Don't you dare to our Kate. Sorry now, Mayor of Easttown. My God, how amazing. We should wrap up, but I do think we have a few more like amazing. I think Kate is worth putting a pin in because when I tweeted about who, what's your most memorable sort of red carpet moments, what made, what taught you about what you wanted beauty to be? So many people said Kate. Are we talking about Kate Winslet in like the Red Valentino or are we talking about Kate Winslet back in the days of, uh, what was it, Titanic when she was wearing all of those dresses that we all wore to like our Debs's where she had like the Yeah, like Celtic dresses. And, the, and the, the corset and then the skirt. Yeah. Yeah. She's had such a style evolution, I think. Oh my God, that woman is is amazing. And very quick mention before we go, because this has all been about women. Men have definitely come to the fore in the past few years. Yes, they're starting to emerge now, I think. They're starting to be more fun. Now, we know that Jared Leto has been flying the Jesus flag for a very long time. Fair play to him. Like, he is the new embodiment of Jesus. We get it. Of the Jesus we think of from a Eurocentric way. But then Billy Porter comes along in 2019 and he wears that tuxedo dress. And you're like, that man is making a statement. He wants to start a conversation, but he's also having fun. And this year we see Leslie Odom Jr., Josh O'Connor, Riz Ahmed, Dan Levy. I was waiting every single time going, what are they going to wear? Because they were having fun. They were just going, "So great!" we can be involved in this as well. Daniel Kaluuya wore his pyjamas to the Sags, I think it was. Now, it wasn't a Penny's Hunt pyjamas or Primark. Um, It was some fancy pyjamas but it was something you'd think Dickens would wear and also King of Comfort and a person I have fallen in love with this year Jason Sudeikis wearing his hoodies men's fashion moment it happened in the pandemic Do you know what I also love about the the men fashion moment that's been happening the last couple of years is we've now gotten to a place so quickly and which is really fun where it's now not enough that a man is wearing something sort of flamboyant or femi or whatever. We've gotten to the point where Harry Styles and Timothy Chalamet have won so, worn so much like 
like women's clothing that people are like, look, I don't, th I don't think that was good on him. I think that, yeah. I think that pattern, I think that brocade is dated. I don't think that they, it's like, they're literally, they've done so much now that we're starting to criticize them in the same way that we do with female with fashion. Women. We've already moved past the like, oh, good for him wearing a skirt, making a statement. And isn't you know? it fantastic? You're, de you are so right. We're already there going, didn't suit him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you that tutu was not slimming. It didn't, It didn't, it didn't suit him. Like, you know, you, when we sit down and we watch Outlander, it's not just for the sex scenes. It's to see how good Jamie's knees are in the, in the skirts, in the kilts. You know, men's fashion has always been there. We just need, I've just really enjoyed seeing it this year. Them really getting involved in it in, in the pandemic. And it's been wonderful. It's a sport, guys. It's yeah. a sport. It's a sport. Oh, I have loved this podcast. This is the first record of the new season for me. And... This has like really got me off with a bang. Like, Marin, do we have do you have anything else you want to say before we part ways? Um, I would like to say that it is an incredible position to be in to be sitting on my shitty um wine-stained couch in my rented house watching these celebrities who have spent hours and days making themselves look fantastic for me to be drinking eight euro bottles of wine and criticizing them at four o'clock in the morning. And for them to do that for me, thank you. Just th thank you. It, thank, it makes me Thank you, good. everyone. Jesus, we never even talked about Liz Hurley in the Versace dress. Do you know what? We don't have time. Oh my God, Liz Hurley. Oh, we haven't talked to, we haven't talked about Liz Hurley. We haven't talked about Bjork in the Swan. We haven't talked about J-Lo in the green Versace, Versace. dress that Jerry Versace. Halliwell wore first. Wow, Jerry really? Halliwell wore the green Versace dress a few months previously at, uh, it was either the MTV Awards or the, she wore two months or the month before J-Lo. Jerry Halliwell yeah. wore that Versace dress first. <gasps> And then J-Lo gets credited for inventing Google Images. Because of the dress. Yeah. Because of the dress. Like if you were Jerry Halliwell. You'd be pissed. 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 I feel like she has a lot of resentments. <laughs> she seems like someone who lives with resentment. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'll just, yeah. <laughs> um, also, Bjork and the Swan, like, every, you know, I just, I, I just, I'm just saying Bjork and the Swan because I know as soon as this goes up, people will tweet me and say, you didn't talk about Bjork and the Swan? Bjork and the Swan, they'll talk about um, the Bob Mackie dresses that Cher wore throughout Cher, the years, yeah. which were fantastic. You look back at them now and you're like, my God, that woman was having fun. And she did it as a big up you because the Oscars didn't take her seriously as an actress in 1986. And she was like, I should be up for an award in Mask because she got it at Cannes and they didn't even nominate yeah. her. And she was like, oh, fuck you, I'm wearing this. I don't care. And... Uh, And the Oscars had also said that year that women should wear dresses because too many women had been showing up in trouser suits in the previous year. So she wore really? that trouser suit. Oh, I didn't know that. that fascinating. Yeah. The mohawk. Oh, so fabulous. I mean, so good. They're, everyone's going to be shouting about the things that we haven't mentioned, but we, we yeah. could be here for a five-parter. That's how important red carpets are. They're so important. Oh, Oh, Marin, I've loved this so much. This has been the best. Please promise you'll come back for another episode sometime soon. You are a dream. Can I pitch in the exact same way? Just shout words at you and Kat. Just shout words. Yes, you can. 
You you have won that privilege. It has been a pleasure being on this podcast as a fan of it for a very long time, Caroline. Thank you so much. This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.